Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 Watch podcast. I'm the internet's beloved Princess Grace, and with me as always is my co-host, Timmy. How you doing, Timmy? Pretty good. How are you today, Grace? Oh, can't complain. Thanks for asking. It's been a pretty good Tuesday so far, and we get to talk about Season 3, Episode 2, Trials. Directed by Constantine Macris, written by Drew Z. Greenberg, original air date July 18th, 2011. Oh yeah, we uh, we open on a recap to remind you that uh, Micah left, and Steve Jinx joined, and then Micah came back. <laughs> yep, it's very funny to me that the recap is all like dramatic about Micah leaving when like she comes back. If you saw the last episode, right. <laughs> you would know she came back. But I get I, you have to know that in order to make sense of some of the stuff that happens in this episode. So that's reasonable. Yeah. I guess there are people who saw the end of the previous season and then didn't tune in and are seeing episode two. Yeah, remember, this is, you know, before streaming happened, you weren't, like, guaranteed to see every episode of a television show in the order that, in the order it aired. Right. Yeah, I definitely, like, I had a DVR, so I recorded this when it was airing, but, like, it's still... You know, it still isn't that difficult to end up missing an episode. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, especially at the start of a season, you might not uh, might not be up on your uh, TV knowledge. You've, yeah, you uh, may have let your you subscription have... to TV Guide lapse. Yeah, who knows? Maybe you forgot stuff because, like, you know, it's probably been a while between seasons. Even if you're watching, if you're watching this as it came out, there's you know, quite some time between seasons. You know, right, several months. So. And- after our recap, we see a pilot forgetting how to fly and just, like, running out of the cockpit. Yeah. And, like, the thing that concerns me most about this is that the plane nearly goes down. Yeah, what, isn't the like, point of the co-pilot that you have someone who can land the plane if the pi- something happens to the pilots? Right, I think they said his job title was something other than co-pilot to make this make more sense, but if you are in the co-pilot's chair in a commercial aircraft full of people, you are guaranteed able to keep an air an airplane in the air. Yeah. You don't you don't just get to do that. Like this isn't his first day on the job. He's driven small or he's flown small craft commercial for a while before he got into a big craft like that. Yeah. Cause like you know, as we'll find out by the nature of this artifact, it doesn't like impair the plane at all. Right, like, yeah, it, no, nothing happened except a guy freaked out and ran away from his job. Conveniently, yeah. there was a guy sitting next to him, fully capable of doing the job. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's weird that the plane goes into a nosedive, because right. like, they weren't even at the, the place yet, right? Like, they were, the autopilot so, should still be taken over. So the, uh, the pilot right before he uh, freaked out... He said, okay, uh, we're beginning our, uh, he meant to say descent, but he said, uh, dissension, which is like not a thing a pilot would ever say. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a weird word to use unless you're a Coheed album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He turned to his co-pilot and said, okay, we're getting ready to, uh, land. And then, like, he his eyes flash and, like, 
does this veiny thing around him or whatever. Yeah, he gets some some weird gradienty silver eyes. Yeah, very and then 2011 CGI. He's suddenly unaware of where he is and runs out of the uh, cockpit. Yeah, and As like one this does. should be fine. Like the co-pilot might be caught a little off guard by this. But if your pilot is out of his seat and leaving the cockpit, you just grab the yoke. Yeah, like... <laughs> like, just do it. <laughs> this is your entire job, co-pilot man. Like, right. yeah, I get that this is weird, but like... Yeah, he wasn't asleep, he was just talking to the guy. <laughs> yeah, like, he was just complaining that the, that the captain told him the same joke on the earlier flight. Like... <sighs> what is this guy's job if not to, like... <laughs> For this exact situation. Right. <laughs> well, not, yeah. not this exact situation, but like, you know, Captain can do... If the pilot can't do his job, that's why you're here. Right. That's why you're not both allowed to get the fish. <laughs> like, if one person is getting the chicken in their in-flight meal, the other person gets the fish. It's just the rules. Mm -hmm. Ever since the... Uh, the 70s, and the documentary film Airplane. Airplane. You've <laughs> <laughs> uh, got to find one person on this plane that knows how to fly a plane and didn't have fish for dinner. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, I could do a whole podcast on Airplane, but, um... Oh, we might have to do some bonus episodes, because have you ever seen Top Secret? I have. It's so good. Oh, it is so good. <laughs> we might no, have to uh pick a opportunity to do some bonus episodes where we watch those movies they're good yeah top secret is it doesn't have leslie nielsen in it but it, dear god it's such a good movie still right i honestly think it's a funnier movie yeah but it never got nearly the mainstream recognition that yeah. airplane does look it, it's about a it's about a teen idol uh destroying communism with the power of love and hip-thrusting dance music. What more right. could you want? Yeah, it's Val Kilmer's first major motion picture. Ah. <laughs> uh, ah. Uh. So, moving right along, we get to the intro. Uh, and then we get a lot of Micah's inner monologue. Yeah, which this show never does. Yeah, it's worth noting that this is a departure from the format. Yeah, like, we've never really been privy to any character's internal monologue. Yeah, we get voiceovers, and they're done by a an actor that you know, but it's never meant to be, like, the internal monologue. Yeah, especially since... Yeah, cause, and like, it's mostly for Christmas uh, episodes. Yeah, and because, like... Characters in Warehouse 13 don't have... They wear their hearts on their sleeves. They say what they're feeling. Right. Like, that. you know, it's... Yeah, it's, the last thing I need is, uh... Less of the characters talking. Like, the show has very good, uh, character interactions. Yeah. It, it's really not good to take away that. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah, so it's weird that for a while we just get Micah talking to herself about... Oh, I left and now I came back, or whatever. Right. Uh huh. Yeah, but, uh. Claudia 
Uh, well, Micah is concerned because they don't have enough chairs at the table for the staff meeting. Yeah. Uh, conveniently, Lena is bringing a chair in, and her concern was for nothing. But, yeah. like, I get it. it's I... a room. There's one more person there. Like, <laughs> like, I get it. I get anxiety brain. I've, like, walked up to the lunch table and, like, struggled to find a place to sit. I've right. been there. But this is also your house. Pull up yeah, a like... chair. Yeah, just Didn't be you have, chill about it. <laughs> haven't you like had dinner in this room before? Right, like you've lived at this house for like years now. Please, like I know yeah. you left for a couple months. Just don't worry about it. Yeah. Like yeah, even if like they're trying to freeze you out or whatever, it's like you're you have to be here for work. You can't just like sit somewhere else. Yeah, if Micah normally had anxiety about this sort of stuff, like, it would make more sense. But I've never seen them portray her as a particularly anxious person about anything yeah. like this. Yeah, like, you know. Like, I, Claudia I had a... doing it would feel a lot more reasonable. Yeah. If she were in her shoes. Yeah, exactly. Like, Claudia would, would do this, or at least, like, you know, it would play into her whole, like, oh, her, you know, Feelings of inadequacy. Her like, oh, I'm not a real agent or whatever. You know, everyone yeah. looks down at me. And that like, underlying sort of she, she's actually cool, but she also plays it extra cool to hide certain insecurities. Yeah, because I could absolutely see a scene where like Claudia, you know, she walks in, all the chairs are full, so she just kind of like leans against the wall or whatever. Right. Yeah, like yeah, oh, and someone no, has to need... like wave her over. Yeah, like oh, I don't need a chair. I'm good here or whatever. You know. But uh Claudia thanks the goddess that uh Micah is back because it was a a total sausage fest. Yeah. Apparently referring to the uh choice of breakfast. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these guys are all unhealthy eaters. Yeah, they love their right. breakfast sausages. <laughs> that is the only thing the phrase sausage fest means. Right. Uh, As we talked about in the previous episode, Pete was real weird with Micah all throughout their interaction uh, mm -hmm. when she was saving everybody with Shakespeare knowledge. Yeah. And, like, now he's cheerful, but it, you can see it's kind of awkward. Mm -hmm. And Micah and, picks up on this. She asks him, right. like, hey, like, do you want to talk about anything? And Pete says... Uh, Mike's, we're double rainbow all the way. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, instantly dating this episode. <laughs> yeah. They really cannot let us forget, like, when this was filmed. Right. It, making reference to the double rainbow guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I googled double rainbow, and I guess he was on Jimmy Kimmel last year. Okay. <laughs> but also he's dead? Whoa. I'm I'm sorry to hear that the double rainbow guy died. Yeah, damn. He was 57. So, uh... They explained, uh... The deal with the pilot sitting at the table and sent yeah. Pete and Mike on their way. Uh, Artie also gave Claudia and, uh, Steve Jinx their own assignment to track down, uh, Typhoid Mary's uh, knife. Yep. Which was being auctioned off, so it seems like a pretty easy task. 
Yep, and Steve's not happy about this. He is like, well, you know, I want to go be a cop and catch bad guys. And Claudia's like, buddy, that's not what we do here. Uh, Right. Yeah, Steve is worried that, like, he's being put on uh, some sort of meaningless busy work type task. Yeah. Uh, And eventually Artie's like, say it was too easy after you've got the artifact. Yeah, pretty much. Like, and Claudia is over the moon because now she's the senior agent on the task. Yeah, that, now she's the, uh, you know, she's the one in charge. This is her first mission as, like, a real big dick uh, warehouse agent, and she is excited about it. She does a little dance about it. She's got a pink streak in this episode, and it looks like it's it's actual hair dye instead of, like, the, the pink hair extension that you usually give her. Yeah, it's doing the nice fade-in thing. Yeah. And, uh, we are off to Seattle. Yeah, and, uh, I have noted here that, uh, in the file, when they talk about the pilot, they describe him as a pilot with a degree in aeronautical engineering, (laughs) which is, like, not a thing a pilot needs. Yeah. Like, that's how you build planes, not how you fly them. Uh, though... don't get me wrong, it could happen. Yeah, I like, mean, one of the f- most common routes to commercial pilot is through the uh, U.S. Air Force. Yeah, like this is... You do yeah. ROTC at the Air Force, get college paid for, get your degree in engineering, and then become a pilot. Yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah, because this is, this is Seattle, this is Boeing town. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, Boeing's down in Renton, but, you know, same same area. So... yeah. Not extremely unreasonable, though. It does seem weird that you would give up a job making planes for a job flying it, flying them. Right, like, you get compensated pretty well flying planes. Yeah. But if you have a degree in aeronautical engineering, I feel like you pursue a career in that field pretty certainly. Yeah, like, yeah, like you know, you have this degree, you live in, like, you know, Boeing is right there. Like, I'm sure they are hiring. Yeah, yeah. this guy didn't look particularly young, but I could yeah. totally see it if you were fresh out of college and you were both a commercially licensed pilot and an engineer that you just choose the pilot gig because you get to see a lot of the world and, you know, live it up. Yeah, you know, worth a shot, I guess. It does seem weird. I Something tells me they pay you, well, who knows, like... A family friend is a commercial airline pilot for, you know, one of the big boys. And, you know, it seems like it pays well enough. I Right. Kind of doubt. I, well, I don't know. Your job's probably safer if you're a commercial airline pilot because it's hard to be one. Like, you have to do, you know, maintain a lot of hours and this and that. Yeah, there's very few reasonable routes to become a commercial airline pilot. And once you are, like, you know. They can't really afford to fire you because it's not an easy job to meet the requirements for. Right. There's like, not people lining up to take your job. No, they keep having... To, last I heard, they were like either thinking about or raising the mandatory retirement age because otherwise there wouldn't be enough pilots. I mean, that's a little concerning anyway. Yeah. Like, I really don't want 70-year-old pilots. Like, not saying that no 70-year-olds can fly a plane really well. But, like, on average, they're going to struggle more than, you know, a 
a younger pilot. Yeah. Also, boomers fucking retire. Fuck, <laughs> fuck you, boomers. Uh, <laughs> Please, fucking retire. So, blah, blah, blah. I think they're, they're looking at moving from 60 to 65 or something like that, and in Japan it's 67. Okay. I mean, I feel like in Japan, that's one of the few, uh, like, salaried careers where you actually have a decent quality of life because they won't w- make you work 20 hours every day. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like I, I wouldn't, working a desk job in Japan seems bad. It doesn't seem like yeah. a good living. Uh, Although, if there's anything I think I can say about the Japanese legal system, it is that they will just throw you in jail for criminal negligence if you fuck up. Yep. But, uh, in the case of an airline pilot, if you fucked up that badly, you're your probably life dead. is... Yeah, <laughs> like, there's bigger <laughs> problems on your hands. <laughs> what are you gonna do, arrest me? You can come pry my body from this twisted wreckage, bitch. Uh, but, uh... I, I don't know what it's like to work at Boeing. I imagine it's a... Well, I imagine it's a pretty good job, unless you are... Well, actually, they had layoffs not too long ago, and, well, there's the whole 737 MAX thing, so maybe our guys here is just prescient. Yeah, but, I mean, you're... It probably depends a lot on how you feel about working with, uh, the military, because... Yeah, that's a good point. Your projects won't always be, uh, you know, commercial carrying cargo or, uh, commercial yeah. carrying passengers. Like... Yeah. Sometimes you're going to be designing go-fast planes to kill people. Yeah, that's a good point. Which admittedly is probably the most fun type of plane to design. Like, you get to go, woo, and put cool buttons in it and shit. Yeah. But, like... I'm sure it's a fascinating (laughs) engineering challenge. It's a shame we live in, um... It's a shame we live in a world where we have to go, like, strap guns and bombs to that plane and use it to go kill hospitals. Right. Yeah, like, we should just be building the fastest planes we can because it's cool, not because it's better to, uh, kill people with. Pretty much. Uh, anyways, Pete and Micah show up at Seattle Memorial Hospital, which, um, does not exist. Um, and in fact, like, when you think about it, it's like, when you, when it, when something is named word memorial thing it implies that someone died and they named it after them <laughs> right they they're memorializing the city of seattle like are they is it in honor of chief seattle the duwamish tribal leader they they named the city after Although, seems unlikely if you started the uh the hospital at a very particular time it's just uh named memorial as in war memorial for one of the big wars. Also possible. Like, we have a memorial park, and it's named that to memorialize a war. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that uh, makes sense, because Rapid City had a memorial park and, I think, a memorial hospital as well. Memorial mm-hmm. Park is named that because there's a chunk of the Berlin Wall there in Rapid oh, cool. City, South Dakota. <laughs> so, uh... As the episode moves right on along, conveniently at the hospital they take this pilot to because uh, 
he's rapidly regressing in in mental age. Uh, there's also a doctor there that forgets how to do surgery in the middle of surgery. Yeah, which is terrifying, to be honest. Like, yeah, this episode like, freaked me out in a way that most episodes of Warehouse 13 do not. Yeah, it's... This particular artifact apparently manages to have its effect only when people with high, uh, high-risk jobs are in the middle of doing the highest-risk thing they do. Yeah, like... <laughs> like, on top of the fact that it basically gives you, you know, rapid-onset super-speed Alzheimer's or whatever, which is in itself terrifying, the fact that, like, it appears... <sighs> The fact that it just keeps happening to um fucking surgeons and airline pilots is double terrifying. Right. Uh, uh then we go on over to the B plot with Claudia and Steve, where they are at an IRL eBay meeting. <laughs> uh Remember when people purchase things at auctions in person? I'm led to believe they still do, but, uh... What? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Here they are at this auction in Boston. Uh, they are bidding on this knife. Uh, Steve and Claudia are arguing. Claudia calls him a poopy pants several times. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's decided that's his new nickname. Yeah, because he is... He is complaining about how this is too boring for him. He is a very whiny person. Yeah, but but he also talks about how enlightened he is, because as a Buddhist, he can meditate for over two hours. <laughs> and that would be less boring yeah. than sitting at this auction. <laughs> I don't know much about meditation, but I, I don't think most people describe it as boring. Right. I mean... He also doesn't describe it as boring. <laughs> He'd rather be meditating. Put it on a bumper sticker. Yeah. But, <laughs> yes, but, like, when you say, you know, when you say, his tone of voice suggests that, like, he doesn't particularly like meditating. He finds it boring. Right. Yeah, they have, they have some very interesting ideas of what a Buddhist I, says. I, I don't think they've, because I don't I think they've, he, ever met a buddhist or asked one like what right. it's like he says something about how zen he is <laughs> <laughs> i'm so fucking zen you would not believe although in fairness there's a lot of white buddhists who uh don't just understand. have very strange uh doctrinal beliefs yeah yeah because there's no there's no buddhist cops like yeah. you can ask some guy what the right answer is if you're a member of a major Christian denomination. Yeah. Like, they'll give you a very straightforward answer. No, this is how it is. And, like, yeah, same with Judaism. You know, you ask a rabbi and different uh, groups have different ideas on it. But yeah. generally, you can ask someone and they'll tell you what the deal is. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, led to believe rabbis really like arguing about them and asking questions. But, right. you know, at, at, there's some kind of, you know, authority. Right. Yeah, and I think, for the most part, uh, at least Buddhists in America don't have that sort of opportunity. Because generally, your, your study is sort of on your own. Yeah. 
So, yeah, it's... The way they write Steve is very strange. Um, and long story yeah. short, uh, and long story short, uh, they get it, wind up in a bidding war with some lady, uh, they wind up winning the knife anyways, uh, it was stolen, and, uh, this lady not only did not do it, but we don't even get to see Claudia and Steve questioning her. Right. They just question her off screen and tell the auctioneer. So we don't even get to see her face, I don't think. Yeah, they no, show like, the back of her head as she paddles up. Yeah, like she she shoots Steve and Claudia like a dirty look because you know they're talking and arguing during the auction and they keep bidding against her. But like that's it. After that, we never see her again. Right. Yeah, and then you know there's a little you know the auctioneer's like, well, what if she was lying? Well. We a- we asked that lady, she says she didn't do it, Well, what if she was lying? She wasn't. Right. I I mean, this is because Steve can tell if someone's lying, yeah. but, like, so, yeah. obviously the auctioneer doesn't know that Steve has a compulsive need to tell people that they're lying. Yeah, pretty much. Uh. And so that happens, blah blah blah, they find out that some janitor probably took it, who'd only worked here for a week. Right. Yeah, seems pretty suspicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, we, we go back to Seattle, where uh, they they walk in on the surgeon who has been teenagerified, which, um, according to the the Warehouse 13 writers, means they're li- she's listening to an iPod and, uh, gr- you know, I don't want to be here, take me to my parents. Right, which, like, one of those two, like, listening to iPod, yes. Uh, take me to my parents. You have to be really sick of the hospital to be asking to be taken to your parents. Yeah. Also, like, I don't know, it's it's weird that a teenager wouldn't understand that, like, you're in the hospital for a reason. Right. Yeah, like, we're very concerned about you. Uh, yeah, I don't care. Take me to my parents. Come on. Yeah. Like, that doesn't that doesn't make much sense. Yeah, like, it, yeah, like, if you're a child, absolutely. Like, I get that. But, like, but, like, at, 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 at ambiguous teenage age, I expect you to understand what a hospital is, why you are there, and that it's doing good things for you. Right. Yeah, it seems... It seems that you would uh, be pretty well aware of it. Like, even when we do see people who are age-regressed more, they're like children, but they're pretty chill with being in the hospital because they're aware of the fact that they're the hospital is very concerned about something with them. Yeah, like, yeah. So, you know, even if you're 13 or whatever, that's plenty old enough to understand, like, why you are at the hospital. So, weird. Anyways. <laughs> we find out that uh, both the surgeon and the pilot ate at a place called Jalapeno Harry's. Oh, yeah. Which sounds like, you know, a, I mean, it is a nice alliterative play on words or whatever. Yeah. They do, but in it fact... it doesn't start with the same letter. Well... I did notice that, like, when we see the paper or whatever real quick, they do in fact spell jalapeno with an H. Oh, okay. 
But that's it, just good branding. Yeah, I, but I'm on board with spelling jalapeno wrong. But I think in the credits they uh they spelled they correctly spelled it with a J. So who knows what's canon? Yeah, and they discover that a waitress was murdered. Uh, who worked at Jalapeno Harry's? Yeah, which they they see in like the newspaper. Right. They they do the thing that Warehouse Thirteen does, where they have limited access to information, like down to the detail of every single uh victim's credit card receipts. Yeah. And then they piece together the thing that's on the front of the newspaper. Yeah. They and then they realize, <laughs> oh, all of these people were witnesses to the same murder. Hmm. Like there is a journalist interviewing all of these people actively. Yeah, like and no one on, was like, "Hey, oh, uh, they yeah, like, saw like a murder or something." They were supposed to testify in court. Yeah, like they have been. There has been, as we find out later, like nonstop local news coverage of this very murder, and none right. of them Everyone thought. Everyone knows, <laughs> and none of them thought to turn on the TV. <laughs> right. So instead, they use their extremely good supercomputer to hack on up all of their uh, all of their financial records to show that they were all at this restaurant. Yeah, it's which I mean is reasonable if you're trying to find a common thread. Like them going to the same place is a good place to start. Yeah, but like it's, it's weird that it none of them like been more. <laughs> it's weird that none like, of them turned on a TV. Right. And, like, people knew the doctor. Uh, presumably people at the hospital knew who the pilot was. Yeah. They should know that these people are involved in this massively high-profile court case. Yeah, that is... I like, get, someone and, should be like, we need to make sure these guys are better by the time they have to testify. Yeah, like, they would never... Yeah, like, nobody says this. Like, our our intrepid journalist never says anything. Uh, right. Uh, it's it's very strange because like i i have i have memories of like whenever i would travel somewhere with my parents you know we would stay in a hotel and they'd always watch the local news in addition to whatever else was on we would always like watch the local news for a bit to you know at old people like watching the news on tv and i can it's weird that like Pete and micah didn't do that Right. Like, it seems like, you know, you're reading the newspapers, you might as well, like... <sighs> it's weird. Like, there's a whole media circus around these people that we only find out about, like, halfway through the episode. Right. You would think on your way to the city, like, it's something that simply Googling that city would have gotten you, even back then. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like there's this big murder in Seattle. Hmm. Yeah. Uh. Uh, when we cut to Claudia doing her thing, there's some uh, uh so sorry, point of view camera footage. Yeah, so before this, before this, uh so they go to Jalapeno Harry's, well first they like find out this about this place, then Micah does like you know again she says, hey, Pete, if there's anything you want to talk to me about, I'm here. What do you want to say? Yeah, oh, do yeah. you want to say anything? And then Pete just, like, lists off a bunch of movie references. Yeah, he... She's having, like, a moment. Like, she's bracing herself. Like, Pete's about to bear his heart. And 
he's just like, the force will be with you always. Yeah. <laughs> then just movie reference after movie reference, yeah. because that's Pete. <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah he references just a bunch of movies. They go to Jalapeno Harry's. Uh, Jalapeno Harry's, by the way, is a very like like the the guy there that Pete talks to is wearing a vest, just like completely covered in buttons and pieces of flair. Right. It is that kind yeah. of restaurant. It is a you know it is very much a a TGI Fridays esque establishment. Right. It is a which yeah. is a good way to do a genericized uh, restaurant. Yeah, like it, it feels like something that could exist in any town, you know, across the country yeah. with a mall. Yeah, like what one of my problems with Seattle is it doesn't have like enough, you know, cheap nonsense restaurants like this. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and so like, yeah, like it's really good characterization. Like you walk and you see this man wearing, you know. Just every every button he could find, and you immediately know what kind of restaurant this is. Especially the fact that like he keeps offering Pete, like, yeah, like, look, if you're not gonna eat here, I'm gonna have to ask you to leave. You know, can I offer you some pretzel fries? Yeah, I don't know what pretzel fries are, but I want them. Yeah, and it's strange that Pete uh, doesn't take him up on it. Well, he's got a he's got a murder to investigate. Right. Though, like, when, when has that ever stopped him? Yeah, like, I, <laughs> he asked for like two slices of pie to go. Yeah. In the middle of investigating the one thing. Yeah, I. It does feel like they missed a trick without Pete saying, at least saying, like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have some to go or whatever. That, maybe, maybe we're supposed to read that as there being something on his mind, or we're supposed to read it as the writers forgot this about Pete. Right. Mm. How much credit do you want to give him? And then we cut to Micah and Steve on a, on their stakeout. Yeah, and uh, there's a bit where it might not be at exactly this moment. It might have been earlier where there's uh, a point of view sort of camera on Claudia uh, walking down the street from within a car like someone's watching her and some dramatic music. Yeah. Like. It's uh just a bit of foreshadowing for later. Because mm-hmm. we uh, uh yeah because we get Micah and Pete talking about stuff. Uh, Claudia uh thinks Steve is coming on to her for some reason. Steve says that he's gay. Claudia takes it weird. Right. Uh, and then it takes her like a whole fifteen minutes to make a comment about not. Ha- not ever having a gay best friend before. But she's very fabulous? Uh, right. <laughs> which is surprising, considering how fabulous I am. Which, um, at the very least, this is realistic, in that, like, straight right. <laughs> people do not know how to handle it when you come out to them. I, I know this for a fact. They never, they never take it well. They're always weird about it. Right. It, it's, uh... It's one of those things where she's overcompensating. Yeah. And yeah. it's just as uh just as annoying. Yeah, it's um this is very realistic. I don't know if the writers meant it, but like this is pretty much what this is kind of a best case of what it's like to come out most of the time. Right. Yeah, at least it's vaguely supportive. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh yeah like 
I've, you know, come out a lot in my life, and, uh, Claudia, if someone reacting like Claudia did is, you know, on the positive side, um, I'm not going to go over my, my worst hits or whatever, but, um, yeah. Good job, Warehouse 13 writers. I'm pretty sure this was an accident, but you did it. Right. (laughs) Uh, and, uh. Next thing I have here is, uh, yeah, this happens for a while. Then, um, we see, uh, Pete, we see Pete and Micah at Seattle County Correctional, which, um, does not exist because Seattle is in King County. Okay. (laughs) There is no Seattle County. Uh. Yeah, the, uh, it's actually just Pete that's there. Pete and Micah split up. Right. One of them to talk to, uh, like, Pete to talk to the guy on trial and his lawyer. And Micah to talk to the, uh, doctor that forgot herself. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, I didn't write, uh, oh, uh, no, Micah's off talking to, um, kid's mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, kid on trial's mom. Yeah. And, uh, not the kid on trial's mom, the kid on trial's friends. Oh, yeah, uh, who has also lost his memories. Yes, uh, yeah, so the kid on trial, whose name I did not write down, has a best friend he's known since kindergarten. That friend ends up in the hospital with the same brain thing. Mike goes to talk to his mom. Right. Yeah, and the kid on trial's name is, uh, Jeff, because... Uh, his friend is asking if Jeffy's going to come by to play. That's what it is. But, yeah. Anyways, Pete is there at Seattle County Correctional. Come on. You couldn't, like... I, I know why they did it. It's because, like, you don't want to have to explain what King County is. Like... Yeah. Right. And, uh, the lawyer there is being a real hard ass at Pete. Which, like, is his job. Like... Yeah, your, I mean, your, your attorney's job is to be a hard ass to cops for you, right? Like that. Yeah, this and is, Pete's trying to just sort of like talk him down. Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not taking a side here. Like, which, of course, that's not something you should trust out of a cop. Yeah, like, like it's impossible to be neutral just in general. But you should especially not, like, trust a cop when they say they are neutral, or not take your side, or even on your side. Right, Uh, don't trust a fed to not, uh, use something you say against you. Yeah, like, cops are allowed to lie to you, feds are extremely allowed to lie to you, you should not trust them, and your lawyer should badger them. It's the only way they have to hold them accountable. Uh. So, yeah, this- Jeffy's lawyer is doing his job, and, uh, is generally, like, unhelpful to Pete, again, which is correct. And... Yeah. I'm not sure Pete really gets much in the way of information, but, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, we just, uh, learned that he has a lawyer that, uh, seems to know what he's doing. Yeah, we know that this guy has a good lawyer, um, which, uh... This has happened twice now. Remember back in, like, the pilots? When, like, you know, the kid was also accused of doing a crime and his mother-in-law lawyer was doing some bad shit? Or his yep. godmother lawyer? 
it's it's weird that they've gone for like two lawyers who are up to magical bullshit. Admittedly, this guy is different. He doesn't like know he's doing it, but right. The show crime dramas love to write about lawyers. Yeah, though. like yeah, like and this is hell. It's it's you know this show is copaganda, so of course it is anti defense attorney. Right. It, it, yeah, this show... there's some pretty good moments in this episode where uh, the reporter is like, why are you defending a murderer? Yeah, like, it's it's <laughs> my job. Like, you know, and he's like, you know. I'm defending an accused uh, yeah, murderer. Like, like, yeah, like, I don't want to sound like the fucking ACLU here, but like, if you're a defense attorney, it's your job to defend people who are accused of crimes. Like, right. Like, (sighs) this suddenly reminds me of the time that, like, a mayor of a bigger city near us uh, got accused of uh, doing something wrong, uh, tax evasion. Mm -hmm. And his lawyer went on the news and said he'd rather plead guilty to, uh, to, like, assault than tax evasion because he didn't do tax evasion (laughs) and like what are you trying to say here are you admitting to something uh it's uh like no one accused you of that yeah like i understand being critical of like you know when the aclu decides to defend nazis instead of like you know people who were protesting against nazis like that's I get that everyone deserves a vigorous defense, but that's a weird choice of priorities for the ACLU. So, so I think it's kind of even worse, like, in general. Like, the ACLU does some important work, yeah. and, like, generally when they're working with uh, really awful people, it's because they believe they're building a precedent for good case law. Yeah, yeah, they are doing it to set an example and set a precedent. Yeah, one of the bigger problems with the legal profession in general is that they've thoroughly embraced the uh, Alan Dershowitz view that a lawyer should do absolutely anything if it's in the best interest of his client. Mm -hmm. Like, this is very prominent amongst legal scholarship these days, and also very bad. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, and it's... And I, I understand that, like, you know, they're mirroring something that, like, does happen. Like, you know, you know, you, you know, because it's a weird line to walk because, like, there are absolutely attorneys who, like, they make their living, like, if you have a lot of money, you can hire someone who will just make it not worth the state's time to prosecute you. Right. And, and that seems bad. But it also points to a flaw in the legal system in general, which is, you know, well, welcome to America where the rich, the rich don't get punished for things. This isn't new right. to us. They're a symptom. Yeah. The fact, uh, that, the fact that, like, this man is defending someone, is, like, defending someone who is accused of murder, well, like, someone's gotta do it. Like, Right. If you're a defense attorney, you need to understand your moral and ethical requirements as a defense attorney. Yeah. 
That doesn't mean you provide a lesser defense to your uh, client. It just means you don't bend the rules of your ethics. Yeah, like, if you're not comfortable taking murder trials, like, then you don't. Like, nobody is making you, like, take murder trials. You can, you know, you have a logic. You can get a perfectly comfortable existence doing wills or whatever. Right. Or like, if, if you want to hire a lawyer, they will sit down and talk with you before you hire them. Because it's hard for them to get off of your case once they're on it. Yeah. So they want to know, am I going to be able to sit here and defend you? Or are you up to some nonsense? Yeah, and like, you know, you can sit, like, if you are in a position where you have to hire a lawyer because you're accused of a crime, they will ask you if you did it, and it is in your best interest to tell them the truth. Right. Like, yeah, you're the one person you should tell that to. Yeah, like, you know, like, yes, you know, you should tell your attorney you did the murder because then they can help you. Like, it's not. <sighs> right. Because a, a lawyer with scruples will know that you did it and they'll know that means, OK, we can't focus on certain things because I'm not going to put this guy up on the stand and have him perjure himself. Yeah. But uh They'll also, like, if they think the state didn't do their job, they'll highlight issues with that and advise you to go to trial. Yeah. If they're looking through the state's documents, they're going to be like, hey, you need a plea deal. Like, you really need a plea deal. Yeah, here. and that's why you hire a lawyer, because, like, <laughs> right. their entire job is before. to, like, you know, well, they could be like, you know, well, I don't think what you, you know. I think you not guilty of murder because I, you know, I think this, this, and this, you maybe did manslaughter or this, you know, it was self-defense or diminished capacity or whatever, or they can, you know, or they can at the very least, like, force the state to jump through the hoops, which is, you know, right. a uh, valuable, like, even if you absolutely did it, the purpose, one of the functions the defense attorney serves is, like, holding the state accountable. Yeah, the hell dude's take on this is very good. Uh, he says uh, uh, about working as a lawyer, you don't have to be smart to do this, but you have to do this to do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like uh, that was about someone choosing to go pro se. Yeah. Like, it's almost always a horrible idea yeah, the, the, to be your own defense. Yeah, like, Mostly because the judge will not grant you much leeway. Well, yeah, the the saying is the uh, the attorney who represents himself has a fool for a client. Now, right. if you are if you are not an attorney and you are representing yourself pro se in, you know, small claims court or whatever, yeah, the judge will cut you some leeway. If, yeah, but only only in courts where it's normal to do that. Yeah, small like, claims that's normal. Yeah, if you if are If you're doing it as a if you defense, are, yeah, if you which are, sometimes you're allowed to do, yeah, like that is almost always a horrible idea. Yeah, if you are being accused of murder, you want an attorney, my friends. <laughs> like, right, especially especially if you are not one. If you are an attorney, well, you know better than I do, but you should also not represent yourself. Um, right there, there's a certain advantage to the separation of the personal from the professional yeah. that a lawyer uses. Yeah, like, if you're personally involved, you're not going to be able to approach it with a cool enough head. Yeah, exactly. To, 
yeah, yeah, to execute well on a plan. Yeah, that is one of the things a lawyer will like, you know, they are invested, yes, they want to see you succeed, but they are also detached enough to be able to like, you know, look at this, you know, look at this with a cool head, as you said, and say like, my guy, I know you didn't do it, you, you know you didn't do it, but like, you should take the plea deal, or, you know, you, there's no way you would have thought to look at it from this angle, or this or that. Yeah, you know. presentation's important. If you're uh, objecting to something and you're representing yourself, you, uh, like, if you're getting cross about what the other side is doing, you look like you're being flapped. If your lawyer's doing it, he's just getting annoyed at the other side's procedural errors or whatever. Yeah. Like, a judge will pick up on that. Yeah, I, I remember reading something about, you know, it was about by renting office space in New York or whatever, it doesn't matter. And, you know, they're talking about how to, you know, when you get a lease, you know, when you get a lease, you want a lawyer. Because the lawyer's allowed to do things like... So if you look at the lease and you tell the landlord, uh, you know, hey, I don't like this late, this late rent penalty or whatever, the landlord will say, why? You know, why does it matter? Are you planning to be late on rent? But when your lawyer does it, like, they're just being a lawyer. It's fine. Right. Yeah, you know, when, when you... Yeah, or like, and contract law and real estate law is one of those things that, like, there are a lot of, like, there's no good place to gather all of these rules because they're all based on case law. Yeah. But there's just so much depth to the rules and it varies so much state to state. Yeah. Like what's what's allowable in one contract uh, is not allowable in another. Yeah. And like there's no good way for you to know it. Yeah. I, I remember a, a phrase going like, you know, I showed the lease to the lawyer and he was like, yeah, see this clause? I like this clause. I'm going to use it in my own contracts. And he strikes it out with a ballpoint pen, but you're not signing it. Right. But like, yeah, you can't do, because, like, anyone who has, like, ever rented something knows this. I don't have to explain this to you or anyone listening. But, like, when you are signing a lease, you have no bargaining power. You cannot, like, there is no, like, meeting of the minds. You cannot, like, negotiate the terms of the lease with your landlord. This just doesn't happen. There's right, no... very few people negotiating a lease are in a position where they they can walk away. Yeah, like, there is no way for you to, like, yeah, like, there's no mechanism for you to say, I'm not signing this provision, or, like, I find this unreasonable. They'll just say, like, okay, fuck off, like, you know. They ha right, it's one of the reasons people hate homeowners associations so much. A lot of times you'll be required to enter into this contract with, like, a ridiculous list of rules, and there's some random neighbors who can enforce these rules on you. Yeah. And, like, like yeah, like, most contracts you agree to, like, for a cell phone plan, or for a lease, or a car, or whatever, like, car, a little different, where you're expected to haggle for cars, but, like, everything else is just, like, or a credit card, like, here is this contract, you have to agree to these terms. You do not get to negotiate them. You're not even necessarily expected to read it. There's right, which... Uh, there's a whole lot... I mean, 
there's a whole lot of writing contracts where you just include clauses that you know don't apply. Yeah. Because it'll scare people who haven't yet hired a lawyer into complying. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, this is unenforceable in court. This is bullshit. But, like, they're banking on you, A, not knowing that, or B, not wanting to take it to court. Because, like, that's expensive. And depending on, like, you know, as a landlord, you know that there's a good chance that, like, your tenants do not have the time, money, wherewithal, or knowledge to fight this in court. Yeah, a landlord has a huge advantage it, because for the most part, it's small claims court, so it yeah. doesn't cost a whole lot to do. And generally, a landlord, if they do work a job, has the sort of flexibility to show up in court at scheduled hours. Yeah, meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile um... You probably don't. Like, what are you going to... Are you going to take right. time off of work to, like, go to court and argue with your landlord? And if you... Yeah. And if you lose, you're going to be out even more money and or be evicted? Yeah, I know I live in a place where, you know, anyone from, like, median income up pretty much owns their home. Yeah. Which isn't the case in most cities, but, like, uh, it's still one of those things... Your landlord inherently has an advantage because all they have to do is sit on the property and the the rule book is in certain elements stacked in their favor. Yeah. Simply because, like, you know, they have the time, they have the money, they have the contract that you signed, and again, they have much more time and money than you do by virtue of being your landlord. Right. Yeah, what which is why a lot of states have really good tenant protection laws. But whether or not you ever get to use those is a whole nother story. Yeah, and and you have to know about them to use them, is the other trick. Is, like, right. landlords will say shit like, okay, well, I'm raising your rent in, you know, two weeks, and you'll say, you can't do that, that's illegal, you need to give me X notice. Right. Yeah, and most of the time, the only time any of these uh, tenant protections work out is when your landlord has done something so egregious that you have substantial damages so that you can go talk to a lawyer and the dollar signs light up in their eyes. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like my last landlord, you know, my last, they, uh, first of all, they, um, you know, they require you have renter's insurance, which is either, I think is pretty standard, at least, like, every place I've rented so far has required that. And, but they, like, I, you know, sent them my renter's, in- well, like, I renewed my renter's insurance, I, like, assumed my insurer will, like, the insurance company would send them to the address on file. They claimed they never got it, they had never heard of the address they told me to put as the, you know, you know, they told me to give to the insurance company. And so, and without calling me or like ever getting in touch with me, they signed me up for their renter's insurance. That they just okay. added onto my rent. And like, you know, it took me a few months to notice this. And like, when I eventually called them out on it, they, well, we never said that. We tried to get in touch with you, but we didn't. And blah, blah, blah. Like, you know where I live. Come knock on my fucking door. Yeah, like, and you can't you can't just sign me up for things. Yeah, like, like <laughs> this provision is not in my lease. You say it's in my lease, you're lying. 
Like, you can't do this. And, like, they eventually refunded my money without admitting wrong, of course. Right. And of Yeah, course- but, uh... You also had the advantage that you were carrying renter's insurance, even if it wasn't at the right address or something. Yeah, like, I I was. Yeah, like, I was. Yeah, like... I was never uninsured. They just conveniently did not get it. Right. Uh. Yeah, so uh, part of that is you can't actually have two renter's insurance policies. So, like... Like, they can't take out an insurance policy in your name. Yeah. On top of your own insurance policy. Yeah. It was... It was bullshit. And that's not even counting the fact that, like, they are currently sending collections agencies after me because, uh, they claim I owe them, like, another month... Another month's rent or something like that, even after they told me I was good. Very strange. Oh, oh shit. Ask for that in writing. Oh, I did. I did. They will shut up immediately. Oh, I know. I, like... <laughs> I, I told them, you know... Oh, because like they've sent me letters and they they called me and hounded me and I've said you know, okay like don't call me like send me communicate in writing and also you know I'll I'll be in touch with my attorneys and they have not contacted me since. Yeah, because I once had a medical bill go to collections and like I just didn't owe it, and uh, so I called them up very nicely and I'm like, hey, what's the deal here and. They're like, they're explaining to me that I owe them $300 or something. And I'm like, no, I don't. None of the documents from the, uh, from the hospital would reflect that. I sat there and watched them fill it out. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and eventually, uh, like, I just had to send them a letter and then they never bothered me again. Yeah. That's the because as soon as you ask them to prove that you owe the money, they actually have like a barrier they have to overcome. Yeah, like it's. But collection agencies, if you just start paying them when they say they owe you money, like that's their money now. Yeah, like that's the <laughs> thing is like if you are being caught by a debt collector, do not acknowledge like don't acknowledge the debt. If you acknowledge the debt, they have you. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you invite them in, it's vampire rules. Yeah, pretty much. Because like, that's what de- collectors are. Yeah, like, it's it's fairy rules, baby. <laughs> Do not give them your name. Do not acknowledge that th- that they owe you anything. It is on them to prove that you owe them money. But as soon as you do, like, it's theirs. Like, debt collectors will do shit like, they will call you and say, like, you know, hey, you know, you're, you know, your relative or whatever died and but there's still a balance left on their mortgage uh there's still a balance left on their mortgage we'd like you to pay it do not like as soon as you pay it as soon as you send them money yeah suddenly you're responsible yeah suddenly that debt is activated and it's yours now or like they will call you about debts that like yeah at least in the case of the mortgage means that you also gain uh the you know, what that mortgage is backed by, like a house. But with credit card debt, if a relative is dead and they owed credit card debt, the credit card company just has to fuck off. Yeah, and they can't collect from another family member. They're just out of luck, sorry. And they they try this because, like, they know it works. They know that, like, they know that you don't know your protections. That's the fucking scummy part is, like, or, like, they will call you about a debt that, like, you know, you know, there's a statute of limitations on debts like this. And 
but they they are banking on you not knowing that they will call you about debts that have been settled or like are from before you declared bankruptcy and say like hey you you owe us this money and you know no you don't fuck off right okay we've gotten quite far afield <laughs> yeah sorry yeah long story short like a lot of the times if you are willing to like challenge people on things you can make things go away if you're willing to haggle or like you know you know, confront people instead of just paying them money, you can get away with it a good portion of the time. But, like, this is a classism thing, because if you are, you know, if you are, you know, grew up knowing lawyers like I did, they teach you this shit. If you, right, you know, if you grew up working class, I imagine they do not. Uh, yeah, like, you're, you probably learned a lot about keeping a shitty car on the road. Like, yeah. People with different backgrounds have completely different skill sets. Yeah. And, like, you know, if you grew up in a family that always had shitty cars, you probably know a lot about roadside repairs. Yeah. But, like, if you grew up in a family that, you know, always was closer to affluent people and, like, it had a group of diverse uh, up upper echelon professionals you were around you probably picked up some knowledge of law and like other things that people who uh have a different background just don't yeah anyways uh so pete's at the at the well at the jail kid hasn't been sentenced yet he's still in jail uh see there you go the difference between jail and prison uh and then mike is talking to uh kid you know kids uh friend's mom and the the kid's mom is like mike is like hey did you do this and she's like oh no i you know i believe in the system i think justice will be done uh or what i don't believe in vengeance i think justice will be done because uh, you know justice is when the state does your vengeance for you right <laughs> the state has a monopoly on violence and so therefore and so it's good when the state does vengeance, but it's bad when you do vengeance. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, we're gonna come back around to that soon. Yeah. And by soon, I mean, like, next season, so not yeah. soon. I say that facetiously, but now's not, now's not the time for legal system takes. We already did that. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it does read as weird, but I also realized, like, I, you know. I, yeah, I I took a high school civics class. I understood the state has a monopoly on violence and this and that. But regardless, <sighs> and uh, but, hmm? yeah, we uh, we meet news lady. We meet yeah, we meet the newscaster. Uh, what's Courtney. her name? Courtney Moore. Yeah, and she gets very sassy with Micah. Yeah, like, uh, or no. Uh, I have noted sassy Micah because Micah gets sassy with her. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of both, though. Yeah, they're, they're like both Courtney very, says, very bickery why with are each we other. Still, yeah, why are we still doing this? Like, we know he's guilty, which is, like, not what a reporter says. Yeah, like, reporters are, like, <laughs> they will certainly imply things like this, but they don't just say, like, yeah. Like, it's implied this is her first big case. But you can't write about law and not realize 
that sometimes the initial narrative that the police give you is wrong. Yeah, like, I understand that, like, police will, t- like, police will tell the media things, and the media kind of ha- can't dig, on- dig at them too closely because otherwise the police will stop giving them reports. But, like... Right. And I also understand that, like, when you're in the media, you're allowed to, like, heavily imply that this guy did the crime. But it's certainly weird to say, like, why are you continuing to investigate it? We know the kid did it. Right. In just a casual conversation. Like, yeah. it, it's such a strange thing for a reporter to say. And, like, we, there, she does this a lot. We're like, you know, how are you, how could you defend a murderer? Well, like, we don't know he did it. Like, nobody's proven that he did the murder. Right. Later on, they accuse her of causing the whatever uh, whatever issue is going on uh, because it would be good for her career. Would it? Like, uh, like they say it's going to be her big story. Like, it, it's a national news story, and, like, she hasn't ever had something this high profile. But, like, would... So, would they, what, yeah, but, like, what would doing the, make the news. Yeah, like... Like you haven't been covering what's happened, what's been happening to the witnesses. Like, what is that? What would make it a big story that makes your career? I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure because the risk of all of these witnesses uh, forgetting themselves is that this kid walks free, and yeah. like maybe your, but uh, like your news coverage becomes higher profile because it's like, oh, everyone knows he's guilty, but he got off on a technicality. Yeah, are you trying to make the next O.J. Simpson? Like, right. Or, like, but also, like, you know, if these people take the stand and testify that the kid didn't do it and he gets off, that's also a, a, a news story, right? Like, the fact that the police were wrong. Ooh, you know, a turnabout, a, you know, an unjustly accused prisoner walks free. That's also a good story. Right. But in this case, the writers decided that the reporter would be a real zealot for some sort of justice uh, and, like, completely ignore the idea that this kid could not be uh, the murderer. Yeah, it's very strange that, like, again, I, I have a certain perspective from, you know, knowing legal shit and also playing a lot of Ace Attorney games, but, like, you know... And I get that, like, the real-life news also, like, deliberately conflates allegedly did crime with did crime. Right. But it's it's very frustrating to see. And it it's weird. Yeah, like, the news does this, but I don't think a reporter in a conversation with... Yeah. Uh, with a federal agent is just like, why... Why are you even doing yeah. your job? We know we know what the outcome's yeah. supposed to Typical be. Typical government waste, like, investigating crimes to find out who did them before trial. Right. That's saying the quiet part loud. Yeah. Like, no, the the uh, DA already said this kid did it. Why would anyone be investigating anymore? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Weird. But, uh... Uh, going back to see, uh... Claudia and to see Steve. Claudia and uh yeah Steve yeah so they're basically there's a whole back and forth here and but it comes out that Claudia is feeling inadequate because you know 
the reason she keeps asserting herself as senior agent is that she feels inadequate, that she doesn't have the training to work for the Secret Service, or ATF, or NSA, or MOUSE, or M-O-U-S-E. Uh, right. Yeah, so, it, it's one of those things, Claudia has her insecurities. She's young, she's, uh, not formally trained yeah, like the others. She doesn't, ha she doesn't have a degree, or anything like and, that. And she also has a whole lot of fear that she won't live up to Artie's expectations because Artie has become, like, the closest thing to a father she has. Yeah. Which is kind of funny to think about because when we first met her, she would uh, have readily killed Artie if she felt it would help bring her brother yeah, back. Yeah, pretty much. It's, uh, you know, it's... Like, the only reason she was interested in anything he had to say was because she thought he might know something that could help her. Yeah, and he did. Like, he, he brought her brother right. back, even though it was his fault that her brother was gone in the first place. But it, it's been nice to watch them grow on each other. I like their relationship. Right. That's a weird way to phrase it. You know, I enjoy the way their characters interact, I guess. Right. Love me some Clardy. <laughs> I, yep, and, uh... Long story short, knife guy walks by. Uh, Micah and Steve uh, jump out and get him. They ask him for the knife. He, the guy, pepper sprays uh, Steve, and runs away. Which, yeah. Uh, we quickly learn that neither of them have a Tesla or anything that would make this easy. Um, right, <laughs> for plot reasons. Yep, and then, yo. <laughs> The guy runs away, I also, Claudia makes sure Steve's okay, chases him, runs into Artie. Uh, yeah, Artie throws open a car door into that guy in, in order to slow him down while, they're, while Claudia is chasing him. Yeah. And Claudia discovers that Artie has been watching her work, and now suddenly she's upset because, uh, he didn't trust her to be able to do her job, so he's shadowing her. Yeah. Though, Artie would tell it a different way, as we will see. But, uh... Right. Or, yeah, Artie, uh... Artie, uh, you know, hit this guy, hurt his knee pretty bad. Uh, both Artie and the guy grab the knife at the same time, transfer the knee pain to Artie. Dude gets away. Yep. And, uh... So, the most interesting part about Dude Gets Away is, like, he ran a couple blocks from, like, the, his apartment or something. No, it wasn't even his apartment. He got out of a car because he wasn't at home. Yeah. He ran a couple blocks, jumped in another car, and drove away. <laughs> that is not his car! <laughs> like, is this a random old dude just, like, really good at hot-wiring, uh... Early 2000s cars. Yeah. Like, he's just running around Chicago stealing cars? Like. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, mind you, this. I didn't this catch this the first time I watched it, but, like, the second time through, I'm like, no, wait a minute. That can't be his car. Yeah. Because, <sighs> like, there's no way this is, like, an, a, a rideshare situation. It's 2011. Right. Like, this is a, this is an older guy, mind you. He's at least middle-aged. He's, like, got gray hair and everything. He's old. 
probably retired, given that like he could take a job as a janitor as part of a, a scheme to steal the knife. Right, like, and, and his son and his, is old enough to have a child. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, dude's probably at least in his 60s. Like, he's an adult. Uh, he's, it's a weird way to say it. Like, he's, you know, yeah, he's probably in his 60s at least. And so, and it's also weird that he could outrun Claudia. Right. Yeah, like, Claudia checks on Steve. She kind of dilly-dallies as she uh, takes off chasing him. But still, I I don't think it takes too long for her to catch up to this guy. Especially after already knocked him down. Yeah, but, you know, she just kind of gives up the ghost and would rather, like, argue with Artie. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, mean... So good. Very strange, but she also yeah. hacks up uh, his location, so no big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we see already like with his feet on the dashboard, like on Claudia's computer, like, ah, oh, yes, I see you hacked up yourself up a good one here, or whatever. Right. He, Weird. He doesn't know what he's looking at. <laughs> yeah, very strange. Also, like I've never put my feet up on a car's dashboard like that. So. Artie is keeping his leg extended because of his oh, hurt knee. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Like, yeah, he keeps he keeps doing things just to keep his leg extended. That makes more sense. That's reasonable. And uh, yeah, and they find out where he is, but before the end, I think we have a Artie and Claudia. Mind you, I don't think we said it. the uh, The action that Typhoid Mary's knife does is transfers. Uh, injuries or illnesses. Yeah, from one person. So to another. when he and yeah, when he and uh, our knife guy are both holding the knife, the knee pain transferred to Artie. Mm-hmm. Along with who knows what else. Like this guy is pretty advanced in age. Like, yeah. <laughs> Aha! Jokes on you. Now I, I now mean, I don't have Legionnaire's disease. Right. Do, do you think uh, that guy rapidly regrew a uh, an appendix since Artie uh, <laughs> regrows his? Uh, Although he's doing that intentionally. Yeah, it, for all we yeah, like for all we know, we just helped out Artie in his his plans to date that doctor lady. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he might have gained some extra illnesses to call Vanessa yeah. over. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And uh, da da da. And. Uh, Artie and Claudia have a conversation about, like, you know, what you're spying on me, and Artie is like, well, you know, I wanted to see you do good. I wanted to, like, you know, watch you on your first mission alone. I wanted to be watch and be proud of you. And Steve is there annoyingly being like, you know, he's telling the truth. He's just like, right. mind you, Artie and Claudia are, like, sitting in the front seat of a car, and Steve is like, poking his head in through the window to say... Yeah, he doesn't, like, get in the back seat to be in the car with yeah. them. He keeps walking over to different windows, like, once the passenger and once the yeah. driver. Yeah, because, like, when I saw him, like, you know, he's in the... We can see him, like, behind Artie in the passenger side, and, you know, we see him leave, and I thought he was going to get into the back seat, but no, he pops up behind Claudia to be like, he's telling the truth, you know. <laughs> right. It's a thing no normal person would do. Yeah. But it makes sense for framing shots. Yeah. Also, mind you, he walks around the back of the car, even though it would be faster to go around the front of the car. 
Right, because that's also where they're framing shots from. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you don't want to have to walk behind the camera. Uh, right. Uh, and, yeah, this happens. Ardia. Ardia. Claudia and Ardia have, you know, they make up and they figure out where they're going. Right. And, but on the uh, and then Artie walks away, being uh, like, "Yo, I'm going home. You got this. I trust you." Yeah. Uh, on the A plot front, Pete gets whammied. Yep. He, and uh, I've complained about this before, but like, you know how like all sense of like tension goes away when the main when a main character gets hit by something. Like as soon as Pete starts suffering from the thing, you know it's going to be fine. Right. Yeah, Pete's not going to regress to uh, his childhood and then forget how to do uh, even basic life functions and that. Yeah. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, because, like, we saw this happen with the pilot. We saw that, like, you know, he is going to forget how to breathe or whatever. Yeah, but also, like, it's... The format of the show dictates that they're always going to solve like, the A-plot and B-plot. Yeah, but, like... Like, there will be some other story arc thing, but in a standard episode, they will always solve an A-plot and almost always solve a B-plot. Yes, but it's, you know, as soon as it happens to Pete, you you lose all hope of there being even, like, a bittersweet ending where, like, okay, we, we bagged and tagged the thing, but the damage is irreversible. Like, you, we know we're right. going to get Pete back. Yeah, we have a lot of episodes where a bunch of people die. Although they try to never humanize the people that they kill for that sort of thing. Yeah, like we saw the we saw the guy get, you know, pushed out of a top story penthouse in like season one. Right. Yeah, and he's probably the most well known character we see die on screen. Yeah. Off screen ish. Yeah. yeah, we we do definitely like, see him die. We don't see him hit the ground, of course, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but like they're there's a very specific way that people die in this show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all those wrestlers that exploded. Right. Yeah, like, they were they were not important people to us. Yeah, like, I don't think most of them had names. Uh, but anyways, but yeah, Pete gets hit. The reason Pete had to get whammied, though, was because we had to have some uh, real, like, I guess, Freudian, uh, like... Yeah, look, we have... Regression therapy stuff. Yeah, we have to have a younger Pete be like, you know, oh, my dad died, and I'm really worried that my mom and sister, hey, his sister came back, uh, are going to leave him too, because his sister's going to college, and his mom is, you know, all weird and distant because his dad died. Yeah, he says she's working a lot to keep her mind off of things, and, like, yeah. yeah. I mean... I don't know. Uh, yeah, that seems... That actually, like, really jives with the sort of experiences I'm familiar with with people who uh, lose a parent in childhood. Yeah. Like, because your other parent can't quit their job and, like, focus on childcare. Yeah. They're a single parent now. Yeah. So, if anything, you were used to a parent that could make time for you, that now can't make time for yeah. you. Yeah. So, it, it's 
like a really reasonable sort of like storyline there. Yeah. But the gist of this is because of this, Micah leaving uh, was a visceral emotional impact for Pete. Yeah, Pete's got some trauma around like the people he cares about leaving him, and I get that. And you know, that's a reasonable. That's reasonable. It's pretty good writing. It's yeah. yeah and so now Micah do you, is. Do you think that the writers fired up? Do you think that the writers remember that Pete's sister is deaf? Uh, so they definitely do the next time she comes up. Right. Not not saying that like uh, you know deaf people can go to college, of course, but you you know. I'm just surprised I remember right. he had a sister. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those things they had to write about his family. It's nice that they did remember that he, like all of the members of his family. Yeah. I'm glad. He, <laughs> yeah, like I'm glad like they remembered he had a sister, especially you know in season three. After in season yeah. one, we made all those jokes about how well you know the here goes Pete you know. We're never going to hear about his sister again, or the fact that he can read read lips, was it, or do sign language? Yeah, his his thing was being able to read lips. Yeah. He's never demonstrated a mastery of sign language, which is what you would actually have to know. Yeah, because, yeah, like, <laughs> like what, did your sister teach you how to read lips? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, like, it, it's... I, it would make, it's it actually, makes a certain level of sense, because if someone is reading your lips, it helps to, like, you know, emphasize certain shapes or whatever. I, right, but if you live with someone who's deaf, you should learn sign yeah, language. That's, like, that's how you communicate with them if you're close to them. Yeah, exactly. It would be very reasonable for Pete to know ASL, but he, you know, right. if he does, it never comes up. Yeah, like... It, it's and it's interesting that it never comes up because if you really wanted good character details like one of the things that people who know ASL do is absentmindedly do I it. I can see that. Like I I was actually just watching a YouTube video and someone was when they started talking about a deaf person started signing everything they were saying. Just because it happened to be, you know, yeah. it, it was related there. Like, it was signing to show, okay, they're deaf. Like, it, it's one of those things. People who know sign language, it's very easy to accidentally do when you're just doing regular gestures. Yeah, I get that. Like, I, I already talk with my hands. You know, if I knew ASL, right. I would probably, you know, do, you know, more specific hand talking. Right. And, like... If you've ever had a conversation with someone who's deaf, that's how you do it. You talk and use your hands. So, like, if you got reasonably good at it, it's very easy to just accidentally do it. And that would be, like, you know, that would be a cool thing to have in the show. It's a shame that neither the writers nor Pete's actor thought to do that. Right. It would be a lot of work to slip this in constantly. But, like, when you want... I don't know. I think there's certain times that it could have been better. Like, there's times where Pete and Micah are silently signaling to one another, and it's, like, all tactical, uh, you know, 
operator signs or whatever. Like, Pete should be really good at charades. He should be, like, able to just do sign language. Yeah, like, it would... <laughs> it would be a cool moment of, like, you know, Pete, like, Pete teaching Mike a sign language or whatever. Like, that would be cool right. and, like, useful in their line of work. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of work to yeah. include those sorts of details and, like, I don't think they made his sister deaf to to put in a lot of work for the next yeah. five, four and a half seasons. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, you know, we have a whole conversation about, you know, Pete doesn't like it when people he cares about leaves his life. He's got some trauma around that. I get it. And, uh, da-da-da. We see, uh, Micah bursts into the news looking at room or whatever to confront Courtney about doing the thing. And then we see Courtney get bamboozled. Yeah, yeah, she uh, immediately forgets herself, and now Mike is in the middle of being worked up because she thinks Courtney... She doesn't have much evidence for this. She just doesn't like Courtney. Yeah, she's just like, well, Courtney, <laughs> so she is, Courtney she... has talked to all the witnesses. It must be her. She's never met Pete. Like... Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. She's not even a common thread. Mike is just mad. Yeah, she just doesn't like Courtney because she was mean about. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I think this is the point where they come to the conclusion that it's actually the uh, the lawyer. Yeah. So we... since he is the common yeah, thread. Yeah. So first we cut back to the B plot where uh, we see old guy. Uh, we we go to the hospital. Old guy. A hospital. Old guy is, uh, he's using the knife to take his son's leukemia. Yep. And, yeah. And then, uh... Yeah, his son has a small child. It's, you know, it's the thing. O older parents that, uh, have to watch something like that, that's basically the, the wish fulfillment thing there. Like, that's always what they would yeah. want. Yeah, and, and that's what he says. He said, you know, I was grasping at straws, I, I... Knew I'd do anything, including enact a hairbrain scheme to steal this knife and use it to take my son's leukemia. And, like, that's an extremely yeah. reasonable thing for him to do. Yeah, he even says he didn't believe it would work until uh, the point when Artie got his knee pain. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, you know. Well, hey. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Hey, neat. And then he's, you know, he's like, well, are you going to arrest me now? And, you know. Uh, Steve has his big uh, character moment where he says, uh, "Has his bit." He says the line Claudia said yeah, earlier. Yeah, no, we we chase artifacts, not people. We, you know, you did nothing wrong, my friend. If anything, you saved us the money. Yeah. I I believe he said we don't go after bad guys; we go after artifacts, yeah, except for the several, which implies that this guy is a bad guy for stealing typhoid Mary's. Yeah, knife. and using it to yeah, like. This was a good and cool crime. Yeah. Shut up, Steve. Yeah, like, yeah, like, this guy did absolutely nothing wrong. Like, he was... You know, right. Yeah, yeah it, it's the same reason that, like, Pete didn't uh, come down hard on James Marsden and his family. Like, who cares? Yeah, like, yeah, all James... And they robbed banks. Yeah, yeah. So, you know... Yeah, like, don't get, like, it seems like sometimes they do, in fact, chase bad guys. They sure did spend a lot of time and resources, like, chasing down McPherson. Right. But, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Most of the time it is an artifact-based situation. Yeah, and a lot of the time uh, the people using the artifacts have the best intentions, but, like, the artifact itself is the problem. Yeah. In fact, like, uh, yeah, in fact, uh, even in the A-plot, I'm pretty sure the... Like, I'm pretty sure they wind up arresting the lady who, like, was doing the thing. Because... They definitely arrest her son. Yeah, like... She was definitely, like, doing bad guy shit. Uh... Right. Yeah, nobody died, but she, well, people came pretty close. Yeah, she was certainly willing to kill people. Right. But, uh... Yeah, and, you know, she was felony accessory to murder. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so. Although I don't know how you'd make the case for that, what with what you can say in a court of law. Yeah, I'm not really sure. <laughs> like, yeah, like, we know we did it, but I'm, I'm not sure you could get a judge or jury to buy, used a magical mind-erasing tie clip to. Right. And I think the warehouse would prefer to not have that said in open court, yeah. even if, you know, someone needs to be put away. Yeah, so. But anyways, uh, we do find out what it was after this. We we uh, we see, uh, we hear from uh, someone. I think the the kid who's been accused of murder says something about like you know, yeah. Oh yeah, that reporter. She's been sticking her camera in everyone's face, and people tend to people fall for it, except for my lawyer who like started talking at her, and she crumpled like a house of cards or whatever. Yeah, she got wrecked. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> And and so they go watch the footage. Yeah, and so Micah goes to watch the footage, and you know we have a whole argument uh, about like you know we have a whole argument about uh, you know this is the thing we keep referring to of you know uh, you know how could you defend a murderer? Well, like he's an alleged murderer. We haven't proven that he's killed anyone yet. Don't you believe in the Fifth Amendment? Right. And then he rips straight into a con law lesson. Yeah. <laughs> like, because she says something about the First Amendment, and he's like, listen here, lady. Yeah, listen, <laughs> you know, you're mixing up the First and the Fifth Amendment. You know that, right? The First Amendment protects your job. The Fifth, you know, he goes off on her. Oh, well, uh, oh, well, Micah notices he's wearing an ugly tie clip, uh, Walter Winchell's tie clip. Right. And we saw this before, but uh, Mike is just like, who wears a tie clip these yeah, days? Yeah, who wears a, frankly, pretty ugly... And it was an over... Yeah, an overly ornate yeah, like tie clip. Like fancy, heavy silver tie clip. Yeah, if you wear a tie clip these days, it's a pretty plain bar. You shouldn't go beyond that. Yeah, like, the only time I've, like... The only time I've seen someone wearing a tie clip is when it was, like, a novelty tie clip as an affectation. Right, and that's... That's tacky, but that's a good thing when you're doing yeah, it. Like, you know, it's, yeah, it's fun. As opposed to this, which is, you know, suspicious. And uh, right. long story short, Micah figures out it's a, oh, you know, Walter Winchell, of course, was a journalist who could uh, get information out of people who, that, you know, didn't want to divulge their secrets. Uh, we figure out that the tie clip is taking the information out. There must be some cufflinks that put it back in. Sure, why not? Uh, yeah, because they see it in the uh, in the image with the tie clips. So this is one of those things. I they 
I think they wrote the episode and realized it came up like 10 minutes short. Because, like, there was no reason they needed that. They needed to work out it was the tie clip, throw it in the foil bag, and everyone gets back. So they just made this a bifurcated artifact. But the problem is, she didn't even throw it in the bag. Like, normally, uh, they go, oh, nothing happened. Oh, nothing happened. Oh, no. We need to find something else. What's the detail in this photo? Here we go. It's the cufflinks. They just skipped all of that. Yeah. It's very strange. And then, because, like... Yeah, they skipped to Micah just being very observant. Ooh, the cufflinks match the the tie clip. Better go nab those cufflinks. Yeah, because, uh... Micah goes and, like, talks to the lawyer, and, like, he's very, like, apologetic. The lawyer, like, didn't know he was doing anything wrong other than his job. And Micah takes the tie clip, and we never see the lawyer again. He's like, oh, you know, it was a gift. It was mysterious. It it showed up on my doorstep with no note or anything. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll wear this fancy tie clip. Yeah, and it makes him feel confident, which is, like, what the artifact does. Mm -hmm. But also, like... Throughout it, she's like, okay, be careful not to ask me questions. Yeah, because I think that's what <laughs> and, activates it. And uh, it's very concerning to me that she didn't immediately foil bag the thing when she got yeah, it. it. She waited until she was in front of Pete to yeah, do it. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah, because what if, what if she did get affected? Mm-hmm. Like, what if she suddenly became a teenager? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. These people don't remember what was going on that day. She'll have no idea how to manage her problem. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, everyone just dies in that yeah. case. And then Micah shows up at kid's friend's mom's house. Boy, I wish I wrote down character names. Uh, uh, She's like, you know, I know you have the cufflinks. Give them back. Uh, she's like, no, I'll give them back after the trial. Uh, Mike is like, well, A, there's no, you know, I have no guarantee that you'll do that. And B, people are fucking dying. Like. Right. And, uh, yeah, long story. Yeah, and so she threatens to garbage disposal yeah. them. Micah points a gun at her. Uh, her son comes in. Who is better now? And is like, you know. Mom, what the fuck? Yeah, why are you doing this to protect me? Who to protect me, the kid who actually did the murder? Um, I didn't. Right. Add- and he's like, I, I just gotta, I gotta turn myself in. I did it. Like we can't, we can't do this. We can't yeah, keep. He's this like, up. Mom, I made a mistake. I'll do it. Like I deserve this. And like, his friend is going to jail. Yeah, his, the friend that he's like, known since kindergarten. Like this isn't like yeah, the reason his mom. The reason his mom took his memories, like, she did it intentionally so that he wouldn't uh, rat himself yeah. out. Because he wouldn't have normally allowed this to yeah, happen. Yeah, because, like, you know, real talk, if a, you know, a cherished, you know, childhood friend, I would not let a cherished, you know, it seems worse to let them take the rap for me. Like, it's a shitty thing to do. Right. Yeah, it's, like... I don't think you should turn yourself in and, like, go to jail for crimes. Let let the cops do their job. But if it's almost certain that a dear friend of yours is going to jail, like, 
That's worse. Well, that's not worse. Being, yeah, in, a, you, being in prison fucking sucks. I would not wish an American prison it, on anyone. I, I think it is worse. So, like, because you're putting someone you care about through Yeah, that. like... Like, at some point you have to acknowledge, okay, both options suck, but one sucks for me, the person responsible, and the other sucks for someone who's very close yeah, to like, me. Yeah, like, you're going to feel shitty about this for the rest of your life, and also, you sent someone you care about to, you know, rot in an American prison for who knows how long. Like, yeah, you're right. free, but, like, you know, anyone with a soul would, like, you know, feel shitty about it, and... <sighs> that's a weird way to phrase that, but, like, anyways, you know, kid's doing the right thing. And, uh, it's right. weird... Yeah, his mom is, uh... You know, trying to protect her son for dubious reason. Right. I again calling but back to the I, fucking pilot. There's a weird repeated thing of parent goes to parent slash well guardian really goes to like ridiculous artifacty links to protect their child, which I'm led right. to believe is a you know something you do if you're a parent. I wouldn't know. I've never been one. But it's Yeah, and the reason that she's in possession of these is because she's the daughter of that uh Walter Winchell. Of Walter Winchell. So that's like Lena tells uh Micah that. Because Micah heard that uh the kid was out of the hospital and is like, weird, no one else got yeah. better. And, uh, and Lena digs up once Lena says that. And Lena, that's two and two. Yeah, and Lena digs up Walter Winchell's daughter's you know address. It's like, oh look at that, she lives in Seattle. Right. Oh look at that, she's someone you've already met. <laughs> or I don't know that she actually met them. Yes, she. Yes, her. she did because she was talking to her earlier about stuff. Okay. Yeah, and she definitely met the kid in. Uh, in yeah. the uh, hospital. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because Michael was talking to her when the reporter lady showed up. Uh, I think I said that was who it was. It was actually the victim's mother. Mm, maybe it was. Well, regardless. Yeah, I complicated. They're they're all the same person. Yeah, the, the, there's a couple moms the, running around here. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, anyways, yeah. this lady is holding the. Uh, this lady is holding the uh, cufflink. She's holding her son in one hand and the uh, the cufflinks over the disposal with the other. Micah shoots the disposal switch, shutting it down. Which I don't think is how that works. I mean, it's one of those things. It could work. Like It seems weird. It's very reasonable to think that you could break the connection. But I think the odds of doing it are, like, even with a pretty direct hit on the switch, there's, like, a 50-50 shot that it even does anything. Yeah, like, assuming you hit, it it seems weird to assume this would do it, which is, like, a pretty common thing in fiction, where we will see characters, like, ripping wires out of walls or pouring Mountain Dew on computers or whatever, and that immediately foils the villain's plan when it's, like, well, how do you know that's going to fix it? This seems really dangerous. For all we know, you've just made it unstoppable, or worse. Right. Yeah, if instead of breaking the switch open, 
you could have just broken the switch closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, then, uh, to get the disposal to shut off, you probably have to go down and shut off a a breaker or something. Yeah, and like... You can usually unplug a disposal under the sink, yeah, too. But, but, like, neither of those would have saved the cufflinks, which, like, if I were this lady, I would have dropped it as soon as I heard a gunshot. Right. Like, dropping things when you hear a gunshot is not an unusual response anyway. Yeah, like, if I was holding anything and I heard a gunshot, there's a, you know, I, there's a good chance I would drop it. Especially, like, if I was explicitly threatening- That gun was just pointed at you. Yeah, especially if someone was pointing <laughs> yeah. a gun at me and I was threatening to drop a thing if they shot. Like- Right. You either just got shot and have more important things to be concerned with, or, like, you know, the the threat that you were making, you suddenly have to make good yeah. on. So, I don't know if she ever intended to actually do it. I think it was, like, her hostage negotiation, basically. Yeah, I don't- Micah was not going to shoot this lady. But she what Right, and I don't know that this lady ever intended to drop the cufflinks in the disposal. Like, I don't think she wanted to yeah. hurt anyone. She just cared more about saving her son than whether or not Yeah, she died. did genuinely believe the effects of the tie clip were, you know, temporary. Right. Uh. But yeah, so... Long story short, Micah shoots the garbage disposal, uh... She gets the cufflinks. She uh, uses them to bring Pete back. Well, she goes to Pete's hospital room, drops the tie clip into the bag. It snaps and crackles and pops. And then she, like, you know, shows Pete the cufflinks. Right. Yeah, and Pete gets his memories back. Off screen, presumably, she did that for all the other yeah. victims. Uh. Yeah, we do get a young Pete being, that's why my dad calls me Charmin Varmin, or whatever. Uh, I replayed it a couple times to work out that it's Charmin Barman, huh. like a bar Okay, bartender. that makes less sense. I mean, it it's certainly more entertaining given his alcoholism or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like... Well... <laughs> but yeah, that's a strange turn of yeah. phrase for a dad to yeah. say. I, yeah, I... Like, I I get it. I've been known to say, you know, cutesy rhyming things that don't necessarily make any sense. But, like, my dad used to call me Scooter McGruder as a kid. I get it. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a dadly yeah. thing. Mind you, bar just because you're the barman doesn't mean you have to drink. Though it's probably still a bad job for right. an alcoholic to have. Though, of course, yeah. when... when when Pete's dad called Pete that, Pete was presumably was not an alcoholic right. when he was eight. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> uh, and then there's a very on-the-nose wrap-up summarizing everything that happened and the episode's over. Yeah, a more uh, Micah voiceover yeah. for internal monologue where she talks about uh, okay, yeah, things are scary, and I ran away because I got scared, but, uh, this is a, something I don't know. Like, her monologue was kind of weird. Yeah. It didn't feel very in character yeah, to it, me. I noted that it felt very on the nose, but I also, like, didn't find anything about it interesting enough to write down. Right, and the- along with this monologue, they're playing, like- down-tempo indie music, specifically So Easily by Catherine Calder. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
cutting to uh the one kid rightfully going to jail, the other kid being reunited with his girlfriend, uh the father, son, and grandson from the knife case, uh all hanging out in a room together in what uh, what will end up presumably being the father's last month or days to live. I don't know how and quickly you, leukemia kills you. I mean, I think the condition would be as advanced as his son's was. Yeah, and his son was... And his son, a 30-year-old, was in the hospital. Yeah, and, like, either asleep or comatose? Like, you know, it didn't seem all that good. It His son was certainly in a bad way, and it, it was certainly bad enough that, like, his father was desperately searching for magical cures. Yeah, in fairness, a lot of the negative impacts uh, of cancer are from cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. So, like, a dude having seriously, seriously bad cancer might still have decent quality of mm-hmm. life. But, like, presumably with the 30-year-old dad, they were trying to do everything they could to save him, where a lot of times when it's some old guy and there's really very little chance of them saving him, they just sort of go, okay, we're going to make you comfortable. Yeah, which, you know, it seems like a reasonable trade. It That sounds morbid, but, you know, the... the I dad, mean, that's what he had yeah, to say. The, yeah, the dad seemed perfectly willing to do this, and, you know, in his eyes, it was a fair, it was a, a good deal, and that's probably correct at least to him you know right yeah i mean uh i think any grandfather in that position you know remembers when their child was so small and watching them grow up and the idea that you know that would be taken away from your child would just be like uh, probably not on your radar if you somehow had the option to make that yeah, choice. Yeah, you know, no parent wants to the, bury their... The sad thing is no one ever gets the opportunity to make that yeah, choice. Yeah, no, no parent wants to bury their child, you know. Much, much right. less, like, you know, your child is 30 and has a son of his own. Right. Mm. So, you know, happy ending, or at least, you know, happy enough? Uh, truly it was Warehouse 13. I've been the internet's beloved Princess Grace. Uh, you can find my writing, programs, podcasts, posts, and everything else that's fit to plug at princess.software. Uh, Tammy, where can we find you? I much believe you have a new, excellently named website. So, yeah, I'm Timmy at George.horse. I also have a longer-form music blog that I haven't written any actual posts on yet. Uh, that's Timmy at... Uh, I don't know why I always forget this. Like, every time I have to dial it into the URL bar, it's minidisc.rocks. Uh, disc with a C, like the correct way to spell minidisc. Excellent taste. Uh, oh, uh, if you're interested in blogging about music in a longer for- form than people typically do on uh, microblogging platforms like Mastodon, feel free to reach out to me uh, on George because uh, Write Freely doesn't really have messages or whatever. Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to invite people, but I'm keeping it invite only because I don't really like open registration things. Fair enough. And see y'all next week. Do you think I'll make it to the morning?